Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. I'm starting a new series today. It's a mini-series. It's two weeks. And the mini-series is on heaven and hell. Now, when's the last time you heard a sermon or a series on heaven or hell? It is a unique experience. This sermon actually could challenge and confuse some of you. So I'm really inviting you right now to recognize that if you're like not even in Christ and you're like, I'm not even sure I believe in any of this, you may be confused. If you're, you've been in Christ for 45 years, by the time I get finished, you may be a bit confused because it may not be exactly the way you've always thought about it, but my intention is to try to present to you what I believe is a holistic vision of heaven and hell that I think will come together in a sense of coherence, that it makes sense. So heaven and hell has captured the imagination of human culture ever since human culture existed. In fact, heaven and hell is in the very elemental foundational documents that have ever been discovered in human history. Most of us have had our understanding shaped of heaven and hell by the 19th and the 20th century. So we have been shaped dramatically by the 19th and 20th century regarding our understanding of heaven and hell. So you, much like me, have certain formed ideas of heaven based upon our current culture, just like they did way back when. But for us, heaven often kind of looks in certain ways. So I'm going to throw some images up on the screen, and I'm going to like indicate Yeah, heaven sometimes to us seems like this. Like one of these days we're going to get our wings. One of these days we're just going to be lounging on a cloud. And as my wife has often said to me growing up, she felt like heaven was going to be just the most boring experience ever. Because if she's got to sit on a cloud like that forever, that's not going to be a good thing. Like this guy says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Next one, we have visions of heaven and hell as we have visions. And so uh, Gary Larson in his far side, you know, he's got this cartoon, heaven's up top, hell's down below. And in heaven, you know, St. Peter, whoever it is, is handing out harps. That's what he's saying. Welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Anybody ever thought, man, I I can't wait to play a harp. If I get to heaven and I have to play a harp and not an electric guitar, I'm going to be very disappointed. But in hell, it's the devil giving out accordions. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I could probably strum on a harp and it sounds kind of lovely. But you give me an accordion, I'm going to torture you forever. And then this is kind of like somewhat a blast from my own past. If you'll kind of take this in a moment. The guy on the left has a Led Zeppelin shirt on. The guy on the right has an ACDC shirt on. So you from my generation would say, oh, I get it. Yep, these guys are going to split ways. I remember in middle school when I, when I first begged my mom to get me that Highway to Hell album from ACDC. Excuse me? I got some apparently fans here. <laughs> so here, you know, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, ACDC, Highway to Hell. Dude, I think we split ways here. You know, 
We have visions of heaven like this. You know, one is up and to the right and the other was down and to the left and one's really lovely and beautiful and airy and one's really hot and terrible and torturous and we have this 19th, 20th century vision of heaven. But in the ancient days when the Bible, the Old Testament was being written in the very most earliest of times, this is more what they were thinking about. So let's go to the next image. This is the cosmology of an ancient Near Eastern culture. This was part before... Led Zeppelin and ACDC came on the scene giving visions of heaven and hell. This is the idea that ancient cultures, including those written in the time of the Bible, in the time of the Old Testament, had a vision of. There was a heaven. There was a hell, or what they called the underworld. So there was heaven and hell have been a part of human understanding and culture ever since the very beginning. The Sumerians, the earliest of people that we can you know, think about or understand in, from history, and Akkadians, the Mesopotamians, when, when you think they all, all of them, including Judaism, but all of them in ancient Near Eastern culture included creation stories, flood stories, Creation of nation stories, heaven and hell stories, just like in the Bible. So the Bible parallels many of the traditions or concepts of ancient Near Eastern narratives. And at the most basic level, listen carefully, at the most basic level, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is an artifact of ancient Near Eastern culture. It emerges from that time in history in the very same way that the Enuma Elish emerges from the Mesopotamian culture. It's a creation and flood story. At the same time, Hammurabi's code appears out of the Assyrian and Babylonian era. At the very same time, the Old Testament is being written and understood and a narrative is being developed at that time as well. And all of these contain much of the same themes. So Babylonian culture had creation stories and flood stories and heaven and hell stories and good and bad stories and God and God stories. And they also all had an economy of salvation. Like how could one be saved from hell and go to heaven? That's, that was a part of all of these different ancient Near Eastern culture understandings, these concepts, these religions. And when I say economy, I mean a big accounting of life. For instance, how does one gain salvation from God or in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, the gods, how does one gain that? How does one purchase that? How does one win that, get that, achieve that? That's what I mean when I say an economy of salvation. All ancient Near Eastern worldviews had established ways that humanity would need to follow in order to be saved to heaven or damned to hell. It was, it's been a part of history, human history, as long as human history has been recorded. Now, these themes were a part of all ancient Near Eastern religions, including Judaism and the Bible, and we do not need to feel defensive or nervous about placing the Bible in the company of other ancient Near Eastern literature or religions. Why? Why can we as Christians feel comfortable when someone says, hey, all religions are the same, all paths lead to the same end, it all ends up being the same God anyway. It's because 
we as Christians get to respond and say, you are very mistaken. Christianity, the Old Testament, is not like all the others. Do you remember that game you played as a kid? They would show you a picture and they would say, all right, find out what thing is not like the others. And you would pick out that thing that was not like the others. That's what you can do with all world religions and ancient Near Eastern religions. You can put them all, scatter them all out on a board. Put Judaism or Christianity right in there, the Bible in there with all the other ancient, ancient religious literature. And you'll be able to see that the Bible stands out. The Christian narrative, the Judeo-Christian narrative stands out. And here's why. There are two reasons. Let me give them to you. Two elements that distinguish the Bible and all other ancient Near Eastern religions and all world religions in general. So let me bring these two up on the screen. One, the personal nature of God as an interest in the mutual relationship between creator and creation. The God of the Bible wants a personal relationship with creation. That sets the Bible apart from any ancient Near Eastern literature. That is one reason why you as a Christian can stand up when somebody says, ah, yeah, the Bible, Schmeibel, you know, you know, you think about the Upanishads, you think about, you know, ancient Sanskrit and all that. It's all the same. Oh, no, 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 no. Christianity stands out and makes these two claims that no other ancient or contemporary world religion does. Number one, that God is a personal God and wants a relationship with his creation. Number two is this, an economy of salvation to heaven or hell that isn't, is not dependent on human performance. In the biblical salvation economy, only God can save humanity. This distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. It's the only world religion that makes this claim. It's the only ancient Near Eastern religion or culture or concept that makes this claim. Now the reality is that all the other ancient Near Eastern religions and contemporary religions is a performance-based, a works-based, an earned type of experience where good luck getting to heaven, it's really arbitrarily up to that God or those gods up there somewhere, whoever or whatever they are, to help you get to heaven one day if they like you. Good luck getting them to like you. Christianity is entirely different. It says that God not only likes you, he loves you. That you don't need to make your way to God. God will make his way to you. All you need to do is accept and receive it and then live with God. Because God not just doesn't just want to save you for something in the future. He wants to save you from something right now into something, into a life with God. This is totally different than all other ancient Near Eastern religions and all other contemporary religions. Other than the Old Testament, every other ancient Near Eastern faith was in the gods. Plural, many. And these gods didn't care a thing in the world about humanity. They used humanity and creation uh, just for their own selfish benefits. That's exactly like every ancient Near Eastern religion is, except for the Christian Bible. And it's certainly 
didn't have any God that was singular and one. Or gods even who personally cared about humanity. Here's the big idea. The big idea of this sermon is this. No other world religion, ancient or current, claims these two elements. The personal kind of relationship between God and creation and a salvation economy dependent on God, not humanity. The Bible stands apart from all other sacred literature in this respect. So when your family member who doesn't go to church and doesn't really appreciate Christianity says, yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. All world religions are the same. They all end up the same place. You get to say, hold on a second. I took a picture of that slide that Pastor Steve gave me the other day. Hold on a second. Let me find that slide. You get to go to that slide and say, I don't think so. And then you get to go to that. Or you get to go to this slide or whatever it is. And you get to go to your app and your phone and call up the sermon and say, you see this guy? He said no. It's okay. Use me. Blame it on me. Let me do the explaining. Send them a little sermon slice or something along those lines. And let that, because you need to be equipped to stand up and say, no, that's not true. No matter what the culture is saying. No matter what the current state of anyone you're talking to is saying, you get to say this because this is real. Therefore, heaven and hell are real to all who recognize the Bible as their life authority. Heaven and hell are real here now. Get that, here now. And hell is also real here now. It will be also then and there, but it is also here and now. In order to understand heaven and hell, you have to understand these two critical elements that God wants a personal relationship with you and you can't save yourself. So if you're for God, if you have decided you are for the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible says he will be for you. If you say you're for the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible says he will be for you. And if God is for you, what hell can be against you? If God is for you, what hell can be against you? What does the shepherd, remember we just talked about that a few weeks ago, the Psalm 23 and the, and the, and the good shepherd, what does the shepherd promise all of those who have made Jesus their shepherd? That surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life and you will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's Psalm 23. That's the promise for all of you who have decided that I'm for the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible from the very beginning was for me. So what hell can be against me? From a biblical vantage point, heaven is eternal life with God. Next week I'll talk a little bit about John 17, 3. That eternal life is knowing God. And the word knowing is about living with God. Heaven is eternal life with God. Hell is eternal life without God. Since before the creation of the world, God has wanted a life with you that is different than any other contemporary world religion or ancient religion. That before the foundations of the world were laid, God wanted a life with you. God did not need you. God wanted you. That's a very different thing. This is what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. Heaven is the with God life. Hell is the without God life. And let me just pause right here. 
to address you who know that you're living a life without God right now. You know that. There's no, there's no illusion. You know that. You know you're living a life without God. Do you really have a good reason not to explore a life with God? Do you have a really good reason? My hunch is that if you did, you certainly wouldn't be here listening to what I have to say. So I'm just saying, come on. What could it hurt today, right now, in this moment, make a decision to start living with God? And if you do, and you keep coming back, we will help you explore that. We will help you understand that, learn that. And after a good amount of time exploring it and really, truly investigating, make a decision. God is a God that can be known. Why live in ambiguity? Why say, yeah, I'm really not sure? Why don't you find out? Agnosticism is not a relevant position for something that can be known. If you say, well, I appreciate, doctor, that this medicine is going to cure my allergy, but I'm not quite sure, so I'm not going to take it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that way. You and the doctor both would say, well, I'll take it for a little while, see what happens, see if it works or not, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it or not do it. I'll continue or not continue. That's the way you think about everything. For some reason, the devil keeps you stuck in your faith and in spirituality and saying, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not quite sure but you won't even explore it. You won't even experiment. I'm just saying, do what you would normally do and go ahead and experiment, explore, investigate. And after a certain amount of time, decide yes or decide no. We strongly believe here at Heritage that heaven and hell are not some future experience waiting to happen one day when the roll is called up yonder or when we all fly away. No. We strongly believe that heaven and hell are experienced in part now and then will be experienced in full. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that we want to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is about we want heaven to be here now at least in part. Jesus taught us to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look to Revelation 21 for the future. Jesus taught us right here, right now, pray that heaven will be on earth in your life, doing the will of God, living the will of God. And one day, then, heaven will be on earth in full. Look at Revelation 21. It's an amazing passage of scripture. But you might have missed a certain nuance of it if, if you haven't haven't before. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now that's a beautiful picture, but think about the trajectory of heaven. Is it upward or downward? It's downward, it's not upward. In the New Testament, heaven is not somewhere we're going to, but something that's coming to us. 
In the very same way that God sent his son into the world to transform the world, that ultimately the end result of that will be a new heaven and a new earth that comes in the form coming down from God. In biblically holistic terms, heaven is right now a way of living with God in a broken world. That is the best we have of heaven right now is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven in your life. In holistic terms, it's heaven right now as a way of living with God in a broken world. But then, the Revelation 21 idea is when Jesus returns and sets all things to rights, heaven will be living with God in a healed world, in a whole world. Jesus who is heaven's representative, came to us in order to open the kingdom of heaven to everyone. Jesus made it possible for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven right now. And he is also coming back to finish what he started. He said, don't worry, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I've inaugurated the kingdom of heaven. One day I'll come back and bring it to its conclusion. Don't miss this. It's, it's the heavenly living right now that Jesus is inviting you into. I love Christian, what Christian scholar Dallas Willard was famous for saying to people who told him that they longed for heaven one day. And he said, he would often say to them, well, why long for heaven one day? Why don't you go to heaven right now? And they would say, what do you, what do you do? I mean, you know, I should die right now? What do you mean? No, begin living the heavenly life right now. If you're interested in a deeper dive into this and you really want to get into uh, the passions in, in Luke chapter 16, this week at Midweek Oasis, Wednesday night, live, in person, over in the gathering place, or online, I'm going to be doing a deep dive into Luke chapter 16, and we're going to have the opportunity to really unpack this and work with this at a much deeper level, because in in, 20, in 30 minutes, I can't say everything I need to say about this topic, so I'm inviting you into a deeper understanding. But right now, here's the question. Do you want to live in heaven? And what's stopping you from living that way right now? If you would just decide today to start living the heavenly life that Jesus invites you into right now, it could. You would start right now. You could do that. So what's stopping you? If Jesus lived the heavenly life on earth and Jesus says, as you embrace me and make me the Lord, the shepherd of your life, I will live in you and we will fellowship together and we will live together. It will be the with God life. This is Jesus inviting you into a heavenly experience right now in part on earth and then in full. So to say... Start living the heavenly life now is to stay start living as Jesus did. How would Jesus live your life if Jesus were you? How would Jesus live your life? If, how would Jesus talk to their spouse if Jesus was you? How would Jesus spend Jesus' money if Jesus were you? How would Jesus drive your car if Jesus was you? How would Jesus work at your job if Jesus were you? This is the invitation to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This is the opportunity to begin living this heavenly life that Jesus calls you to. How would Jesus live your life if Jesus were you? 
This is way beyond the quaint little wristband that we had in the 80s, I guess, or the early 90s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is way beyond behavioral concepts. Jesus in the Gospels is inviting you into a holistic faith beyond, way beyond the sinner's prayer. It starts there. It starts with recognizing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, like we talked about a few minutes ago. But it's way beyond, I got my ticket punched to heaven at my confirmation. I don't need to think about it again. One day I'll pull it out and give it to St. Peter and I'll get in. It's way beyond that. The heaven life is way beyond that. It's not one day pie in the sky, by and by kind of faith. He's inviting you and me into a heavenly life on earth and a faith that permeates your whole life beginning right now. Think of it this way. If you've made the Lord your shepherd, listen to Galatians 2.20. It's no longer you who live. This is what that scripture says. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. If Christ, Mr. Heaven himself, is living in you, is Christ, is heaven living through you? That's really a great question for Christians to ask themselves. If Mr. Heaven himself, Christ, is living in you, like Galatians 2.20 tells us, is heaven coming through you? When people... When people, a spouse, a child, a neighbor, an enemy, a workmate, experience you, do they get a taste of heaven or hell? Let me say that one more time. Because this is the opportunity for you to be offended. If you want to get offended, this is a great opportunity for you to be offended. When people, a spouse or a child or a neighbor or an enemy or a workmate, experience you, do they get a taste of heaven or hell? As Christians, we are the ongoing incarnation of heaven on earth with Christ living in us and through us. As people living with God, we are the touchstones of heaven for all of those that are lost. And that's not an ugly term or a pejorative term, lost. If you're lost, you're lost. I mean, uh, I, I, spent, I, I traveled 8,700 miles in the last three weeks. 87, much of it was by plane, thank God. But some of it was by car in areas I didn't have any idea where I was. There were many times with GPS recalculating, stinking internet, because you trust it. Nobody has a map anymore. I don't even know how to unfold a map. I don't even, you know, a paper map. But I was lost many times. Is that a bad thing? Am I a bad person? No, I'm just lost. If you're here today and you feel spiritually lost, there's nothing, you're not a bad person. You're just lost. Jesus is saying, if you want a touchstone of heaven, it should be some Christian in your life that's living with Christ in them and it's coming through. Let me say it one more time directly because if I didn't offend you before, I want to offend you now. Okay. A Christian can't Live like hell in the kingdom of God. A Christian can't live like hell in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I don't know those people who pretend they're in the kingdom of heaven because they're, quote, a Christian or they said the sinner's prayer, but yet they live like hell. They talk hateful to their spouse. They're super ugly to people who don't give them their way. 
They're selfishly oriented. They're dedicated to themselves and not others. They're addicted to all kinds of vices and problems and issues. They're controlled by everything but God. And yet they call themselves Christians. And Jesus says, I don't even know those people. So if you're saying, the reason I don't want to explore church is because I know so-and-so who's a, who's a hypocrite. Right, there's a lot of them. I've lived like that before. I, I might live like that a little tomorrow. And I'll have to repent and ask God to stop, st- help me to stop living like I'm from hell and help me start living like I'm from heaven in the way I treat my spouse, and the way I treat my kids, the way I treat other drivers on the road, the way I treat the checkout clerk, the way I think, the way I fantasize, the way I, I search the internet. This is what he's inviting you into. He's inviting you away from a life of hell and into a life of heaven. This is what he's doing right now. The heavenly life on earth can start today in part, and then when your body finally disappoints you, and your body will, your body will ultimately disappoint you, like 1 Corinthians 15, 43 tells us, you'll join the heavenly, eternal party in full. So when your body finally conks out physically, you'll join the eternal, heavenly party in full. And that party is going on right now. It's going on right now. You just jump in when your body wears out. As a Christian, you can experience this heavenly party on earth in part now. And then after death, you will experience heaven in full. Heaven is for real, both now and then. And if you've made the Lord your shepherd, heaven starts now. Now let me take a moment before I close, and I'm closing in just a moment, which is always a preacher lie. But in any event, um, I'm going to be closing in just a, few, just a moment. Let me take a moment to clear up potential confusion. Often, we think of heaven exclusively as the absence of trouble and pain. That's what we think. I can't wait to go to heaven one day because I won't have hair falling out. I won't have to wear glasses. I won't have to deal with this boss I deal with every day. I won't have to worry about bills and and electric, and I won't have to worry about my flat tire, and I won't have to worry about my knees aching. I can't wait to go to heaven. We think about heaven as being that, the absence of trouble and pain in this world, when to David and to Jesus and to Paul, our primary representatives throughout the entire Bible, heaven is joy and peace in the presence of enemies and trouble and pain. Heaven is in part joy and peace in the context of trouble and pain and problems. Jesus said, even though this world, in this world, you will have trouble, fear not, I have overcome the world. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's why Jesus, in the midst of the storm, could go down to the bottom of the boat and fall asleep, relaxed as can be, knowing that God's got this. And that's why you can wake up from where you are right now, put your trust in God, your shepherd, and say right now in the misery that I experience in this broken world, I can rise up and look to, my, look to the heavens, look, look to God who is the author and the finisher of my faith. I trust my shepherd to, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not have to fear any evil because he is close beside me. His staff 
and his rod, they comfort, they protect me, and ultimately he will lead me to live in his house forever. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, living or dying was the same thing because both living and dying meant that they lived in Christ. Both now and then. The Christian life is one contiguous eternal life with God. Now don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Perk up just here at the end. Don't miss this. The non-Christian life is also eternal. The Christian life is eternal. The non-Christian life is eternal. Which is to say, human life is eternal. C.S. Lewis said, I have never met a mere mortal. Why did he say that? Because he knew that all human beings are eternal. Meaning that every human life is eternal. It's either an eternal life with God or an eternal life without God. God. A heavenly life, an eternal heavenly life is with God and eternal hell is without God. If you make Jesus your shepherd, it will be an eternal heaven with God. If you don't, it will be an eternal hell without God, both here and then, both now and then. What does God promise all who have made Jesus their shepherd? Well, what he's promised them is that surely now Goodness and mercy and unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. He didn't say prosperity. He didn't say comfort. He didn't say convenience. He said goodness, mercy, unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life and you will live in the house of the Lord forever. Is the Lord your shepherd? Would you stand with me?